0: I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we reflected on the last 10 years of blogging and law blogging's future. Tom mentioned recently that he was interested in something called invisible apps. As part of our ongoing effort to discuss new technologies before many people have even heard of them, we decided that we'd try to see what was happening with invisible apps. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode?
1: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about uh, the idea of the invisible app, what it is, and uh, why I think it might be interesting. In our second segment, we'll discuss Dave One. recent idea of the five-minute podcast. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about the notion of the invisible app. Uh, You may have heard the argument that for an app to be successful, uh, it needs to earn a place on your home screen. David Sparks, also known as Max Sparky, likes to feature the home screens of iPhone users to showcase the apps that are most important to them. Uh, The idea of the invisible app uh, actually isn't really new. It's a couple of years old, although there are some new things that are being added to that concept and it argues that an app doesn't have to be visible on any screen, or, or it really doesn't have to be an app at all to provide value. And, and I will agree, as we start out, that this is an esoteric topic. It's one that I think is interesting, and since Dennis usually gets to pick the topics, I decided it was time to talk about something different. Uh, I think this is probably an unfair question, Dennis, uh, seeing as I forced this topic on you, but how would you try to explain the idea of the invisible app? I
0: sort of see it as the next generation of, of apps. And there's a couple of ideas that uh, come together. And so I think the focus becomes less on what the tool is and maybe even what is exactly happening in the app, but more so on what uh, the value and the use that it brings um, to the user. And, and of course, we're going to have to give some examples of that. But I think that these are apps that typically are going to fall in the area of notification, I would call it. It will be uh, some of the best examples. And I think the idea is that, as you said, people are used to saying, well, the most important apps are the ones on the home screen. But there are apps that don't really live on your home screen. And they may pop up with notifications or work together with the other apps in a way that, that is really seamless and you might not even have the sense that you're going to the app itself to open it um, in order to get the value out of it. So it's invisible, but it's also helpful in a, in a really interesting way.
1: Yeah, and like I said before, I don't think that this is really a new idea. When I was doing some research for it, I, I found references to invisible apps two or three years ago. But um, and, and maybe to think about it in, in, in a more basic way, if we think about the first wave of apps that came out as smartphones, were, smartphones and, and tablets were designed, we would probably call those closer to being one-purpose apps. So your phone can be a camera, and then your phone can be a calculator, and then your phone can be an instant messaging tool. And there were apps for each one of those purposes. And then there was a period of time where the apps tried to pack every feature possible into it so that it could be your home base. So you could read the news and, and tweet to social media and do just about everything. And they would pack every service that could be offered into a single app. And I think that the idea of the invisible app hits on that new, that sort of third wave. It's been happening for a couple of years now, and, and I'm but I'm seeing something even kind of new now that wasn't happening a couple of years ago. And I, I guess I guess I would describe it best as the app as a service layer. And I think that as you started to mention, there's really two kinds of apps that I think of as invisible, the one are kind of those notification-driven apps. They are collecting information on you and they only come up and they say things uh, or give you information when it's right for you to need them. Uh, so for example, progress to your step goal to tell you how far along you're going. Or you know, it was interesting at ABA Tech Show, uh, I was sitting in my hotel room at, uh, at Tech Show and all of a sudden my phone popped with a message from Facebook that said, your friend Kevin O'Keefe is in the area. And later that day, I saw Kevin, and Kevin said, hey, you know, I got a message on Facebook that said you were in the area. And I thought, how odd it is that both of us were getting uh, those messages. But that's the kind of uh, service, I guess, service layer that we're talking about with the Invisible App. The other one, though, what I think of as being a little bit newer and a little bit more, to me anyway, more interesting, are apps that are coming out, maybe it's better to say services that are coming out, that don't even have an interface at all. Uh, And so maybe it'd be better to call them services that use exi- existing apps to serve a purpose. And I think we're going to talk about some of those examples here in a little bit, but, but they're actually services that you receive text messages or emails or you use other tools on your smart device, whatever it happens to be, to get things accomplished. And I think that's kind of an interesting concept that we haven't probably spent a lot of time thinking about.
0: Yeah, and, and I would say there's, there's two other concepts that come into play here. So the apps without an interface, I think, touches on the the coming Internet of Things, where you you have right. devices that connect to the internet that won't have screens. So uh, obviously, there's a notion of apps without an interface there. Um, and then then also, I was I was thinking, I would said there's two things. There's actually three things. But a friend of mine just got an Apple Watch and he was showing it to me and there was like a little chime in it and he said oh i've been sitting too long my watch told me i need to stand <laughs> need up to get up and move around and so th- i think there is that notion to say there's the apps that sort of sit in the background. I think you're right. There is a service layer of types, and depending, it could be location, it could be time, it could be some other sensing that is done, some interaction with an event or news that it does something that's useful to you in the context. And so, could be you know the example of you walk by a restaurant and all of a sudden a coupon appears for you. But so you have that sort of idea where you're not actually kind of opening an app to get that, but... The alert is coming to you, and then I, I also think there's kind of an interesting, and I don't, I don't really want to dwell on this, but there is that sort of as we move to a new generation, there was always a feeling that you wanted to have the app that was on the home screen, and I find that there are a number of apps that I use routinely that are not on my home screen, and some of it is so in, in a in an odd sense, they're sort of invisible apps because I've buried them on other screens, and and so something like One Password or maybe a, a banking app, a a payment app, might be something that you don't necessarily want to put on your, your home screen. And so they're really useful to you, but you don't access them in the way that typically you would have saying, oh, this has to go on my home screen.
1: Right. But the nice thing about those apps is that, but where they didn't really exist in the past, for example, 1Password now, at least on my Android phone, whenever I open an app or whenever I'm on a website that calls for a password that's in my, and I I take that back. I don't use 1Password. I use LastPass. Um, I use the LastPass app. Whenever I open an app that requires a login, LastPass immediately opens up and says, you've got a login here. Do you want to sign into your location? So it reads the context. It understands what I need and it tries to help at that point in time, which I think is very, very interesting and very helpful. I think, you know, you and I have talked on this podcast a number of times about if uh, IFTTT, if this, then that. And I think that some people may have used uh, either, I'm not sure if it's called Zapier or Zapier, uh, but it's a similar service. And and I would kind of place that into this same realm of, of kind of apps without an interface because it's a service layer. They provide a service by connecting two apps together to do certain things and that's what reminded me when you talk about the internet of things it makes things happen behind the scenes without uh without you either having to do something or it's kind of a set it and forget it kind of a kind of a thing I, i guess i wanted to talk about some of the examples of some of these new apps that we're seeing out there that that don't have an interface that use other tools most of them are using things like SMS text messages, voice messages, things like that. There's a whole set of what I guess I would call them personal concierge apps that are designed to help really do whatever you want them to do. There's a, an app called Go Butler that uses text messages. You use Go Butler to ask for some groceries. They'll arrange for groceries to be delivered. You can arrange travel bookings. You can ask them to book travel or book restaurant reservations for you. Um, you can order order food. You can make appointments with GoButler. It seems to be, I don't know that it's recommended by a lot of people, but it's all over the news in terms of what it can do. Um, there there are other services. One is called Clara and, uh, and, a, and a companion site that looks like it's called x.ai, and, and they are designed to be your personal assistant when it comes to scheduling meetings. You just CC an email address for the service when you send out a message saying, hey, I'd like to meet on Friday at 2 o'clock, and Clara will go do that. Clara will go and set up a meeting invite and check calendars and make sure that that, that gets taken care of. Uh, there's a, a, a other services that do things that I think have been a- around for a long time, things that will automatically do something when it sees something happening, like If This Then That. There's a site called KidPost, uh, which is designed for your less-than-techie friends on social media so that every time you post a picture to Instagram or you post something to Facebook or Twitter – it'll automatically email your friends that you want to email so that they won't get left out of your kids pictures or uh, or other things that you might post on social media I think all of these are um, services that are working in the background that really provide a useful service and I haven't really seen a lot of people using these types of services I'm intrigued by them I don't know Dennis if you're intrigued enough to, to to try out any of them any other examples you want to talk about well I'm intrigued by the whole concept and, um, and also
0: as it starts to get easier. So when we, I first started to think about this, I was thinking, well, there's this New York Times app that sits on my phone. And I don't know that I've ever really opened it, but I do know that when there's breaking news, it pops up an alert for me. And so it's not the classic invisible app, but I use it in an invisible app sort of way. So if New York Times was measuring the use to me or what kind of user I was by how many times I opened the app, I would be a terrible user, but it's actually a valuable app to me. And so the measurement of the usefulness of the app, I think, starts to change. I think there's some really interesting things as you tie it to location, so you're in a certain area, certain things happening, you know, happen. Some of this is Internet of Things ideas, you know. So once, you know, uh, you get close enough to your house, in your car, you know, your garage door opens. Those sorts of things. So I, I think some of those it starts to fall into that category. I guess the one that that might be one to think about because it does illustrate a number of things, and it's gotten some publicity, and it's uh, you know our our friend Matt Holman is involved in this one. Is invisible girlfriend, which is I haven't talked to Matt about this actually for, for a while, but I've certainly defended him to to people probably without <laughs> him him knowing that. But what what I find interesting about that is is when you kind of pull up a layer of abstraction. So I so anyway, the idea of invisible girlfriend, invisible boyfriend is that you set up this service and then you're getting Facebook updates from your invisible boyfriend or girlfriend that are just scheduled to come to you so that you can fool your friends and family that you actually have a boyfriend or, or a girlfriend. So it's not so much that specific idea, but if you pull back a level, what you have is a, a sort of wrapper around a platform that uh, sends customized, scheduled facebook updates
1: or text messages or text or voice messages and or things or, like that that's right it's not and, just and so it's not just that
0: yeah and so i think that is sort of the notion of the invisible app with this platform so you don't really care in a way that it's text or it's Facebook, or you don't even care about how the underlying technology works. What you say is, this gives me uh, a certain benefit, and it has a certain value, and it happens automatically without me saying, oh, I need to go into this app and send a message to myself. That would that would be a total fail, I think. But to say, here's a service is sort of a wrapper around something else happening, that, I think, illustrates a couple of the, the key ideas, I think, about invisible apps as I started to think about it. So I don't know, Tom, if I'm on track with this or not, but that's how I've started to think about it.
1: Well, I think you are. And I think it brings up a question that you and I have been discussing and that may be a subject for a future podcast that we're going to talk about is what the next platform is. We've talked about mobile as a platform for a long time, and we've sort of been thinking about what's the next new platform. And and believe it or not, I've been seeing in the news lots of different choices vying for that next new platform. But I think one that kind of is hitting the front, the forefront right now is notifications and our and notifications, the platform. Now, a, a lot of these invisible apps not aren't necessarily notification tools, although to a certain extent they are. They're notifying you that the service is working for you. So I suppose that invisible app, invisible girlfriend at its base is notification that you have a fake or girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, and I just wonder, do you think that that's the you know, I, I don't know I want to get into a whole platform abstract discussion, but I sort of think that notifications really have become that new platform, especially when we are considering the fact that uh, how many millions of people have already bought an Apple Watch whose primary goal is to notify you when something is happening on your telephone. Yeah, I mean, I
0: and I think I was going to go to the same place. You think about Apple Watch and you talk about customized notification, the sort of tactic interface. Again, I, I don't have my Apple Watch yet, but my friend who gave me a thorough demo of it really liked the fact that there, you got the watch sort of tapped you. And then I also know a lot of people are interested in this sort of customized vibration or tapping that you can get to let you know um, there's a, a, an important notification. So you have that Customized notion, and you say i'm I'm getting like a zillion emails a day, all this other stuff coming at me. what I'd really like is something that will help me very quickly determine what's important or not, and then i can I can pay attention to it and the rest of the stuff I can in- ignore to a to a better time so i think it's not so much notifications itself it's I, I think it's the ability to customize and tailor notifications in a way that puts us in control rather than uh, what I think the past was with apps and things where people were saying oh can I force people into my environment and you know make them live in my world and this will be their one app and I think it gives us the potential to to have more control and I also think as a you know as we think about platforms i think that there's a lot of things that this touches on and it illustrates notions you know like apis and and some of the other potential uh, platform ideas that are out there. And lots of interesting potential. Like I said, to me, the location piece uh, and other triggers become really interesting. So it is, you know, Internet of Things, API, mobile. I think there are a number of different candidates for new platforms. And, and I think you're right, Tom, it's, it's probably going to be an upcoming episode
1: on, on this podcast. So I'll, I'll come back to your statement a minute ago by saying that it's not it's not just the notifications, it's about the ability to customize them. I'll argue that just being the notifications is pretty darn significant. Now, we've talked about on this podcast how I've had an, an Android Wear watch for some time now, and I look less, I, I check my phone less because I get a little buzz. The buzz tells me that something has happened that's important because I'm only asking it to buzz me for the things that I really want to pay attention to. And I can, you know, within a second, look at that, decide whether that's important enough that I need to pull my phone out, that I need to do something about it. And it really has affected the way that I work, the way that I do, you know, conduct my business during the day. And I think that really is important. Let's wrap this session up by asking kind of, the uh, we, we, I guess we got to bring it around to lawyers at some point in time and say, do we see a, a, a legal use for this? Is there a way that lawyers might use invisible apps? Or are we mostly talking about a personal use? Uh, something that, that will help them personally more than anything else?
0: Well, I think that it's easiest to see the, the potential on, on personal matters. But when you focus on the notification piece, then I think... Um, lawyers are creative enough, especially the lawyers who listen to this podcast, to say, well, if there's a platform that offers some potential for notifications, then a lot of what I do as a lawyer, uh, especially if I'm a litigator, involves some sense of notification. So I I think that sort of at this point, you leave it to the imagination of of our lawyer listeners. Um, And then also I give them the homework, which is to say, would it be possible for a lawyer or law firm to offer some, or either offer or take advantage of some kind of invisible app that's directed? toward clients.
1: And I think about that, and I was ready to talk about that, but then I start to think about how some of these other services work and and whether you're providing automatic information. Then you have to worry about, uh, I don't know, artificial intelligence. Is that uh, the unauthorized practice of law? Can, can that happen if it's an artificial body that's either giving advice or giving sort of communications? I think you'd have to limit whatever those notifications are, just things that would not be construed as advice or would not be construed as something that could uh, could get the, the lawyer in trouble. But I do think it is very intriguing to see where, and, and, and I like the idea of giving uh, our listeners a little bit of homework, to see where lawyers might take something like this, because uh, usually they usually wind up surprising us with the kinds of things that people come up with for uh, for these types of ideas.
0: So, Tom, is your next book uh,
1: potentially Invisible <laughs> Apps in One Hour for Lawyers? Yeah, I don't think that there's probably a book in that subject, but I do think that it's definitely worth looking at a lot of these services, whether it's something that you want to try and gain some inspiration for a legal app, or if you just want to use one of these personal concierges or try to find some way to, uh, to help it run your life better. We're going to post a ton of links to uh, a bunch of these different sites uh, in the show notes. So uh, I think it's worth taking a look and seeing if any of them might benefit you at some point in time. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor.
0: Visit www.servnow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.
1: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile.
0: And I'm Dennis Kennedy. I'm seeing more and more podcasts these days, or actually, I'm hearing more and more podcasts these days, and not just the bunch of great new Legal Talk Network podcasts, which there are quite a few new ones. So, Dave Weiner, who at uh, scriptingnews.com is his blog, is definitely one of the inventors of blogging and podcasting, both. So, on his Blog, re- he recently proposed the idea of the five minute podcast, he called it. So the notion is essentially a short podcast with a few quick thoughts or response to a question that someone's asked or a response to someone's post that you don't really have the time to write something about, but you could do a quick podcast that can be done really quickly and easily and maybe in, in a better way than if you tried to write something. So you then release the podcast, the short recording as a, as a podcast. He's recorded a few of these already. Um, Tom, you'll be interested in the the, and most of his five-minute podcasts have gone over five minutes. I'm uh, shocked. I'm it's, shocked to know that. <laughs> Not that we've ever had that problem. <laughs> so, so, Tom, what
1: do you think of the five-minute podcast idea? This is actually a follow-up, in sort of way, to what we talked about in our last podcast. That maybe it's easier and more effective to post a five-minute podcast to express a thought or to answer a question than to write a blog post on it. Maybe it just makes more sense. We're busy, and frankly, with the idea of a five-minute podcast, it's something you can probably do on your phone. It's something you could do using a, a basic recording tool. You don't have to sit up with a big fancy microphone using big, fancy recording stuff, you could just record something very quick and post it as a podcast with very little effort. I, I think the five-minute length is generally pretty good. I National Public Radio makes a ton of them, and I, I, you call them podcasts because uh, you can download them and listen to them on a mobile device at your leisure, but really what they do is they just take their news stories that they Put together into a two-hour block of stories, and they break them into five to seven-minute chunks. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It gets across a, a small but important amount of information in a short period of time. Uh, I, I guess the one downside to doing a five-minute podcast versus writing a blog post or or other post to social media or or somehow memorializing it on the web some other way is that your spoken words are not searchable. If you answer a question or provide some other valuable information, only the people who listen to your podcast are going to be able to get it. By contrast, if you blog about it, people who might have that question or who want to benefit from whatever wisdom you're imparting in in whatever it is you're talking about will at least be able to search to find your written words. And so that would be my only, I mean, that would be my only, uh, if you're recording a five-minute podcast just because you don't have time to write something or you're too lazy to write something or you just don't want to do it. I mean, that would be for me that that's really you're, you're going to you need to be counting on a large audience to listen to that stuff because otherwise uh, not many people are going to hear it. So
0: I have a couple thoughts on
1: this. So my initial thought was that, hey, this is
0: sort of like the Twitter version of podcasting, you know, short, succinct, thoughts, then I was thinking, well, with the recording part of this is actually the easiest thing when you're doing a podcast. And, you know, unless you have producers like we have for this podcast. So if I were able to do a recording and there were, let's just call it the invisible app that grabbed my recording, you know, pulled some information out of it um, and then processed it and put it up on iTunes, then I think this would be a really cool idea. But otherwise I sort of see like it would, Take a lot of work, and then the the other thought I was, was that you could use these these kind of audio updates for a very small audience uh, potentially, and it's almost like that you you had a, a number that people could call and you just gave like this little five minute update of you know what interests you and what was going on in your life and people could choose to call it and hear that voicemail or, in this case, hear a podcast. You could pick and choose. And it's only five minutes. If you're not interested in what I have to say, then. You don't listen to the rest of it, but it's it's a way to let people know what's going on with you and and to keep in touch. So I think it's kind of an interesting idea. It seems like a way to do audio in short form, which is kind of interesting. But I think that until we get some way to easily sort of process, put it together, name it, do simple show notes, uh, you know, or tagging, and then get it posted to iTunes or some o- other outlet. It seems like the back end work is kind of kind of makes it sort it, of defeats it really, the really, yeah, it defeats the purpose of the the short podcast. So, anyway, those are my thoughts. But I love experiments like this, and I think that as podcasts, Tom, we, we see this, and I'm fortunately we haven't gone this far. But man, I. I just see more and more like hour and a half, two hour podcasts. And, you know, people might think of doing multi-part podcasts when they go that long. But when you see in your list of
1: podcasts to listen to two hour podcasts, you start to long for people doing five minute podcasts. (laughs) It's true. And, uh, and I look forward to, if it's, if you think it's a good experiment, I cannot wait for you to, uh, to, I can't wait to hear your first five minute podcast. I would imagine that it, we will not be trying that here on the Kennedy Mile Report. <laughs> yeah.
0: So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website or observation, you can use the second as podcast ends. Tom?
1: So in a last, in a recent podcast, I think uh, our tech show podcast, Dennis was mentioning one of the, we mentioned one of the tools that we really like is is an upcoming tool called Legaler, which he described as a slack for lawyers, but we haven't really talked about slack. So I'm going to use that as my parting shot because I've really been kind of experimenting with it and being interested in using it without having the right outlet to use it in. Slack is a new way of communicating in the workplace. Uh, it's, it's primarily, if you look at it, it looks like it's designed for a software company uh, or startup company that, uh, that has a certain way of communicating. And, and what it does is it, it it has an app that's available on all platforms. So you can get it on Mac or Windows or Android or iOS. Um, and it is email and file sharing and instant messaging and all of that rolled into one. It's designed to be a self-contained place where everybody can talk. And so the general idea of it is that you you set up channels depending on on the types of things that you want to talk about. And each channel, um, people can send messages to each other. I know the ABA Tech Show board and staff used Slack as their communication tool, and they gave up using email entirely at some point because it was so much, it was a lot more convenient to use Slack. You can link to uh, Dropbox files within there and, and you're not actually storing the Dropbox files within the Slack app. They're still just on the Dropbox, but anybody can go download it that it's been shared from a, from a, somebody's Dropbox account. And uh, I think it's really intriguing way of, of changing the way that people communicate at work. I'm trying to find a way to integrate it into my company, into the way that we do it. We're small enough where we could. I just, I'm going to be interested to see if, if people who have been used to a life of working with email can actually get behind a new way of communicating that uh, is interesting and fresh and, and maybe actually more efficient. It's called Slack, slack.com. Dan Bricklin
0: was one of the creators of VisiCalc, known as the first killer software app, And he's been involved in development for a long time. He's done uh, apps and he has a podcast called Adventures in Alpha Land. Uh, Episode 15 is uh, a discussion with Ben Baharan on uh, developing for the Apple Watch. And it's fascinating because it's two developers thinking aloud about how they might develop apps for the Apple Watch. And what's interesting is they really go down to the fundamentals of what you would want to do with a watch. And and it's I think less than a half an hour, but it's it's a great podcast to listen to and they they talk about two things about the watch that really got me thinking and that they were kept in mind as they were trying to decide what apps to develop. And so one is called the glance. So what can you do, or what would people want to do that all it takes is a glance at a watch to get the information or to accomplish what you want? And the other is the the custom notification. Notion. So what types of notification would I want to come to a device that gave me enough information that I didn't have to pull a phone out of my pocket? So it's a great way to think about wearables and how things are developed and really in a lot of ways where technology is
1: taking us. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Taught Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport@gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to The Kennedy Mile Report, a
0: podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to The Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of The Kennedy Mile
1: Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.